Blog Talk Radio. It's time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646 716 Four nine seven two. Now here's your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin. Let's begin. Welcome everybody. It is Monday, January tenth, twenty twenty two. We're so excited to have you joining us. I've got Jack Nunnery as my co-host. Jack, good to have you on the show with me today. Hello, David. It's good. Well, this podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals. And we're so grateful to have you as our listener. Again, our commitment is to bring you timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime, anywhere. <clears throat> I've got a cough drop in my uh, mouth, so hopefully you're not going to be getting too much of the post-COVID coughing that I've been doing on some of the previous podcasts. But <clears throat> that tickle is very present today, so we'll see how it goes, but apologize for that. Nikki does a good job of trying to editing those out as much as possible when we re-upload the podcast. So again, we're excited to have you here. Timely, we're bringing you some really timely information we want to talk about. Um, I want to say a special thank you to our – oh, wait a minute, the Hot Topic segment. Got to talk about that first. The Hot Topic segment is one that I'm really excited to provide with you. Uh, Julian Lumpkin, who is the founder and CEO of Success Kit, will be on the program. He's going to give us some ideas of how to increase – and close, increase your sales and close um, more effectively on people that are considering using you. And we're going to do a talk about uh, getting referrals and the power of referrals. So you're going to want to talk, listen to the Hot Topic segment a little bit later in the podcast. Again, we break out on into two shows now, once you're listening on a downloaded basis. So be sure to go listen to the Hot Topic because Julian's going to be sharing some great information with you. Let's get over to uh, the industry syndicate. Say thank you to industrysyndicate.com for them broadcasting or uh, publishing out our podcast. Check out industrysyndicate.com for all the podcasts that are available on that site. Also, a special thank you to the MBA for the Mortgage Bankers Association of America for their sponsorship and our partnership with them. Uh, check out the Mortgage Action Alliance. Also, sign up for Independent Mortgage Bankers Association Conference that's going on in uh, Nashville uh, that's coming up here in a few weeks. Unfortunately, I cannot be there. My wife has surgery that day, nothing life-threatening. Um, but it is one where I've got to be there, want to be there. Don't have to be, I want to be there. When she comes out from under the anesthesia to tend to her as best I can. So won't be there, but you should be. So sign up for it. Also, Fusion um, Finastra's Fusion Mortgage Bot Solution experience the power of a fully integrated approach to mortgage lending that simplifies the borrower experience and streamlines the process for employees. Anything we could do. I, I had a great interview with Karen Jenkins on October 4th of last year. Go back and listen to that. She has a real good roadmap that she, they open up and talk about their roadmap or what they're developing, their approach to development. Really interesting interview. Interview. Encourage you to go back and listen to that. Also, Lenders One and the Mortgage Collaborative, both of these are organizations, are co-ops that bring both the mortgage originator and the vendors together. And that's, that's valuable. But probably one of the most valuable things is how they get the lenders talking. Again, does not erase the value of the MBA. You should be a member there. But these are two co-ops where more and more of our clients are members of them. They get so much more because it's up close and more intimate. And they're getting a chance to speak to their peers of same size. And uh, so looking at what are the solutions that are working for them. Check out both Lenders One and the Mortgage Collaborative. Also, I want to say a big thank you to Josh at Incelerate. Josh Friend uh, does a great job with his technology, helping connect borrowers. Also, Knowledge Coop, connecting you as a lender to the borrowers in, in, in a very effective way. Check it out. Go on to our sponsorship page. Listen to what Josh has recorded there. Also, any of his past shows. Last one we had him on was June. I've got to get back on here. So, uh, June 21st, uh, 2021, uh, Josh was in there talking about it. So great information podcast. Again, our podcasts are to be informational, and you'll find them to be so. We're working with Ken Perry of Knowledge Group to get him on. Great provider of 
a learning management system I think you'll find very exciting. Also, he's got a new release coming up, and I heard about it. I was on a conference call with him this last week. Man, he's got some exciting stuff that's coming up. It's going to be the industry standard. I'm fairly convinced. <clears throat> Check out knowledgecoop.com as well as Mobility, MMI, and Modex. These two sponsors do a great job of connecting you with top um, loan originator candidates and helping you recruit them. And then also SnapDocs, they have their eVault solution. You've got to check out their eVault solution. It makes it so simple to get started in eNotes and is so easy to help you transact across multiple partners that are using the system. And uh, check it out, snapdocs.com. Uh, also, listen to the interview we did with Vishal Arano on September 13th of this last year. And then, of course, uh, we've got one of our newer sponsors, Lender Toolkit. Brent Amler had him on in November 29th. And then we also have Success Kit, who is on with us today in the Hot Topics segment, Julie Lumpkin. Also, finally, I want to say a special thank you to our regulars. And of course, it's Jack Nunnery, uh, Rob, Les, Alice, Alan, and Matt. Thank you for your contributions each and every week. Let's get over to the MBA Mortgage Minute with Rob Van Raphorst and hear what he's got for us. Rob? Hi, I'm Rob Van Raphorst. Welcome to the Mortgage Minute and the latest news from the Mortgage Bankers Association. Last week, FHFA announced that it has directed the GSEs to increase upfront fees for high balance conforming and second home loans. The fee increases are intended to ensure the GSEs better achieve their mission of facilitating equitable and sustainable access to home ownership while improving their regulatory capital position over time. To minimize market and pipeline disruption, the new fees will go into effect for loan deliveries and acquisitions beginning April 1st, 2022. And be sure to register for MBA's IMB conference happening January 24th through the 27th in Nashville, Tennessee. To register, go to mba.org conferences. That's it for this week. Thanks for joining me. Appreciate that, Rob, very much. Thanks for the update. It takes a little effort for them to go ahead and do that each and every week, and I really appreciate it. The partnership we have with them is just so valued. Um, check out Mortgage Action Alliance. Again, this is one of those apps you can download from the App Store, and you can have your voice heard. Check out uh, how you can read the latest legislative initiatives. Now, you want to listen to Alice Lavey because she had so much great color to it. But and a lot more information, but check out what the MBA is saying and what they're lobbying for on our behalf. And you can add your add your word to it. By the way, I'm trying to shut off all the notifications. I don't know where they're coming in from. Shutting off technology here and there as fast as I can, but I apologize for that. Uh, let's get over to Les Parker with this week's TM Spotlight and a macro view of the market. Les? TM Spotlight Soundbites is brought to you by PowerSeller, making hedging easy. And it all begins where it ends. The curves all bears from Yellen's friends. Bears win. Janet Yellen's central planning tendencies pushes on demand and allows supply issues to fester. Presto, inflation. Enter Jay Powell and the hawkish Fed that turned the short end bearish back in September. The long end tried to determine if inflation rises faster and stays longer than the economy sinks and lives in recession. The verdict's in. Hot inflation and supply problems will stick around longer than it takes the economy to falter. Jay says hello. High rate. We love you. Come enjoy the joyride. These views are my own. Discover the joyride at tmspotlight.com. Yes, definitely enjoy the joyride along with some great music parodies. Good job, Les Parker and Gary Cabone combining their efforts to give us an update on the markets. Good to have them. Appreciate the job they do. I was giving Les a bad time about all the songs. I said, we need to hear you sing some more because he has got a fabulous voice. And so if you ever heard him speak, uh, sing, closet musician, what is it about all the all this finance people that have music in their lives? Anyway, good job, Les. Appreciate it very much. And kudos to Kent Bone for his work on that editing. 
But we don't have Matt Graham here on a recorded basis because he's just too entertaining to have here live. Of course, I haven't been liking what your screens have been telling. I love your screens, Matt Graham. But <laughs> not loving what they are. By the way, Matt Graham, founder, CEO, MBS Live. You can sign up for it. Be sure to, and I encourage you to do so. We love it at any one we've introduced you to, Matt, and your services. Just go, wow, this is really cool. But other than us not liking what you're telling us on the screens, what, what's up? Yeah, it continues to be a don't kill the messenger a couple of weeks as far as uh, my market updates are concerned. Um, last week was particularly abrupt as far as uh, bond selling goes. And it was more than a little bit confusing at times. And uh, yeah, there were some subtleties that weren't immediately apparent unless you kind of stopped and uh, went back and looked at when the selling actually came across. So let's break down everything that I'm, I'm saying here. First off, the big, the big pieces of news during the week were the Fed minutes on Wednesday, uh, which Les alluded to, and then the jobs report on Friday. We did see big selling after both of those events, and I'll talk about why in a moment. But incidentally, the biggest selling of the week took place on Monday when we didn't have any significant data or any significant news headlines, events, anything like that. Um, so we did talk uh, last week or the week before last, I can't remember which, about New Year trading and the fact that uh, you know at least half the time we see a big move on the first trading day of the new year. And uh, rarely is it tied to anything specific. It's just the way the ball bounces. It's the way traders are trading for whatever reason, the, you know, positional considerations flowing into the market for a new trading year, a new week, a new month. Um, and by the way, new weeks and months can bring their own trading positions anyway. So when you add a new year into the mix, and especially a new year where uh, Japan and London are coming back online after two straight days off for holidays, then it can really sort of add momentum if all of the traders coming back into the market are on one side of the trade. And that momentum can be bigger than it otherwise would be because it's still not a perfectly liquid environment. Uh, there's still you know, not as many warm shares as there are before, um, before the holidays. So, Anyway, very interesting anyway, that Monday was. I was going to say sorry about that. I, something just clicked on, started running on my computer. And I think I spoke over you there a bit. Sorry about that. Yeah, oh, that's okay. Um, so anyway, the Monday. Monday. <laughs> uh, if there was Monday. a sort of stealth takeaway, uh, it could be this thing we talked about last time with the Omicron surge paradoxically being bad for the bond market because. If so many people are getting it, yes, uh, things may be very bad in the short term from a public health standpoint. We'll see that, you know, jury is kind of out on that. Um, and I don't have an opinion on that. But the thing that the market participants are considering is that that creates a faster move toward endemic status for the pandemic. And that's something that would be bad for bonds um, because it would be good for the economy and good for the recovery and life getting back to normal. And if that is incorrect, then it brings up another implication, which is that supply chain issues would continue to cause inflation, and then inflation is bad for bonds. So either way, if you don't have the Fed support, um, and if you have the expectation of a rising rate environment on the part of the Fed, then you really don't have anything to hang your hat on as far as keeping rates low, because either the pandemic is going away and rates go higher or the pandemic isn't going away and inflation goes higher. Omicron narrative for the bond market. Mm -hmm. But the Fed did something very unhelpful on Wednesday. Uh, yeah. well, they didn't do it on Wednesday. They did it three weeks previously uh, in the meeting that preceded the last policy announcement. And we just got the minutes for that meeting on Wednesday. Uh, so to understand how the Fed hurt the market on Wednesday, we need to talk really quick about how important past precedent is for financial markets and understanding the Fed's line of thinking. Uh, the Fed really doesn't like to surprise markets, and markets don't really like to be surprised by the Fed. So one thing that is seems very basic and very odd that it would be this important is the idea of past precedent, the playbook, the order of events for the Fed, their order of operations as to how they normalize monetary policy. 
And so we have this framework. Um, they don't call it a framework. We have this, let's call it plays in the playbook that we have observed from the last and only time that the Fed has been tasked with normalizing its balance sheet and backing away from QE. And that, of course, was the whole process that was incepted in the taper tantrum in 2013. And so the timeline roughly was December 13th, the taper was officially announced. It wasn't until December 2015 that they actually began to hike rates. And then it wasn't until September 2017 that they officially announced the balance sheet would start moving lower, the balance sheet runoff. That's where they capped their reinvestments and let it sort of naturally move lower without needing to sell bonds. So that was the order of operations, and that was a timeline that the market understood. I think, you know, the average market participant already knew that it was going to be a faster timeline this time around due to the nature of uh, the pandemic and, you know, the fact that it wasn't an organic recession that caused the Fed to uh, jump in with quantitative easing. So in the minutes, it was essentially revealed that that process is not only going to be accelerated, but uh, drastically so. And then over the next two days, a couple of Fed speakers confirmed that. And all of a sudden, you know, between the Fed accelerating the tapering process at the last meeting and then the minutes containing this talk about, um, you know, balance sheet runoff happening much sooner after the first rate hike, we're looking at a rate hike that's probably going to happen in March. And then balance sheet runoff could be announced as early as June and uh, the average respondent to a few surveys I've been in thinks it's not going to be any later than so uh, four times faster or more than the the previous playbook would suggest. So that balance sheet runoff is a big deal because, you know, after the Fed tapers, then the bond market still has a fair amount of uh, buying demand guaranteed from those reinvestments. And as those reinvestments start to run off, now all of a sudden you're taking the biggest guaranteed buyer in the bond market out of the picture. And that is really bad for rates and uh, bond valuations. And it is certainly probably the key reason, certainly a major reason, probably the biggest reason for the sustained selling last week. Um, and, you know, we are maybe seeing some support here with 10-year yields in the 1.8 range. Uh, 1.77 has certainly been a, a, an important level, but I think that to whatever extent, you know, the economy remains on track or Omicron looks better than Delta as far as its public health impact, then these things continue to be concerns as far as a, a sustained rising rate environment. At some point, technicals will kick in, value buying will kick in, uh, will be oversold enough for, you know, there to be a nice little counterattack, but it's not the kind of thing we want to bet on until we see it materialize. As far as data this week, uh, CPI, Wednesday probably the one people are watching the most expected to come in at 0.9 last time. So the, the periodic inflation updates are going to continue to be important, but I would urge everyone to remember that since inflation is measured year over year, then even if prices simply hold steady at these new super high levels for whatever you know, you're measuring, whether it's that jar of peanut butter or a used car, um, inflation is going to come down even if prices hold steady because it's you know, measured in year over year terms. <clears throat> Very last thing, um, and just, Dave, just cut me off if you need me to stop because I've been going That's a right. little That's bit good long. Stuff. No, no, we're good. Um, MBS coupons. I've been getting a lot of questions about this on MBS Live. Like, which coupon do we yeah. watch? And we do have a primer on that. You type in the word coupon in the in the search a little magnifying glass. You can find it pretty easily. But it just talks about the fact that you know, if you remember nothing else, remember that uh, any given mortgage rate can be slotted into a, an MBS coupon that is, uh, it can you take the MBS coupon, add a quarter of a percent, that's the minimum mortgage rate that can go into that coupon. Add 1.125%, that's the maximum rate. So if we're at, you know, I don't know, 3.625 minus a quarter of a percent, 3.375. So the, uh, the lowest or the, that would be going into yeah. a 3.0 MBS coupon right now, that's right. what I'm trying to say. Yep. And if you're over three and a quarter, you can't get it into a, a two point. If you're over 2.75, you can't get into the 2.5 coupon. So we are basically looking at a 3.0 coupon right now, whereas we were looking at a 2.5 coupon for a long time. 
Um, and many of the loans that are being originated right now can still get into a 2.5, but by the time you get to 3.75, you can no longer use the 2.5. So 3.0 is much more nimble uh, in that sense, much more versatile. And it's, it's not winning any records in terms of production right now, but it is uh, the place that we're watching until and unless we see a rally that takes us back into, uh, you know, levels that we saw in the first half of last week, let's say. But we always update that on the fly as needed on MBS Live. That is good stuff. I love the commentary that goes on here. I don't like some of the screens the way it was spiking. Yeah, you said yeah. it was uh, – well, how did you open it up? It was – said something was abrupt. Don't kill the messenger. Yeah, yeah, don't kill the messenger. Something, but it's also just been brutal to watch. But, I, but it goes to this whole point. Jack, I love you get your commentary on this as we talk about this. But the volatility that we're going to talk about, Les Parker talked about this, and I was on a conference call with Les uh, last week, uh, late last week, and he was you know, doing what Les does, talking about that. And I was saying, Les, did, did I dream this? But did you actually say we, we could see the tenure – under 1% again this year, and then up, you know, and I had my head 200 basis points up uh, or 200 basis point trading rating. He goes, yep, I'm, it's, it's, he says, I'm, I'm kind of in a 1.68 trading range this year, but a lot more volatility than we had last year. And, um, and I know you don't try to, what you do a great job is talking about where the markets are at and how people are talking about it and responding. That's the value of mbslive.net. That's what you do extraordinarily well. But I always like your insights because you've got a real good pulse on what's happening out there. Thoughts? So any thoughts about what kind of range we're getting? Yeah, I mean, I, I, do, I do like to talk about ranges of possibilities, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I just I don't like to predict that we'll be on one side or the other at any given time. Uh, right. So, look, one thing I always like to come back to is this, is I think – the the 19 late 70s and early 80s were an aberrant time for inflation rates which was sort of a one time spike to levels we're never going to see again and to be worried about you know 5 6 7% 10 year yield is old guy thinking and it's not really relevant right now uh and so i think ever since then we've been asymptotically approaching a zero lower bound where zero isn't actually zero but something maybe mm-hmm. 1 to 3% and so I've been saying 1% to 3% is going to be our long-term sideways range for like 10 years now. And I think that's still probably pretty fair. Did we get under 1% in 2020? Yeah, but I think uh, we all know why. And can agree that that is not the a kind of situation that's hopefully going to be recurring in the future. So yeah. is 1% possible in 2022? Totally. I don't see a strong case for that right now because it no, would not involve right – no. It would involve, um, you know, some drastic turn in probably would have to be COVID or some kind of world mm-hmm. war, perhaps. And uh, now we're really thinking about this inflation narrative. And that's what makes it tough in my mind. Like if we weren't, yep. if inflation had calmed down as the Fed expected earlier in the pandemic, I think it would be a lot easier to make a case for 1%. Um, and we would need to see it, you know really get to be less of a concern for that to be attainable in my mind. On the other hand, you know, how bad could things get? Is 3% realistic for 2022? Eh, That feels like a bit of a stretch. Uh, Looking, I like to look at fractals, if anybody knows what that means. Yeah, I do. Repeating patterns. Mm -hmm. Um, And the, you know, the patterns just repeat with the clockwork regularity or, Mm -hmm. or in ways that are like, wow, it really did end up doing that. Um, and the, the pandemic was one of those where it sort of uh, mirrored the, the drop in yields that occurred in the initial uh, financial crisis. Uh, but I digress. The point is that when yields were rising at their fastest clip in the past decade, it would, if we rose at a similar pace over, you know, this two to three year period, it would put the top of this range around 2.4% in 10 year yields. That feels yep. like a, you know, sort of a middle of the road target for a rising rate environment. You know, if ingredients remain in place to continue upward pressure on rates, I feel like 2.4 would be where uh, things would start stalling out or, or have a nice little bounce. But, well, you know, I, I, at how fast things were climbing this last week, I was thinking, yikes, we may get there sooner than we want. This was just 
uh, it's not sustainable. Um, what goes up must come down, but it, it is a little bit today. But, you know, I, I got to give you a bad time, Matt, and I'm going to go to Jack right now. Uh, but, Jack, did you hear him refer to old guy thinking a little bit ago, just a moment that, ago? That's an article I wrote. I wrote an article <laughs> that said worrying about high inflation is old guy thinking. I and love that. So yeah. I have to hearken back to that. Yeah. Harken back to it. But, Jack, you and I are the old guys on this uh, podcast. So uh, comment to that. Mr. Nunnery. Well, you know, first of all, Matt, uh, uh, I, that just fits me perfectly, right? Because, <laughs> you know, you worry about inflation. So uh, you swung the hammer, you hit that nail right on the head. If that's old guy thinking, then, uh, be it. you know, so I'm just, just clear, right, not worrying right? about inflation. It's worrying about right, like, 6, 7, 8% inflation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, not I'm, not sixteen, seventeen, eighteen percent that uh, exactly. uh, we saw back in the late seventies and uh, the very first part of the eighties. So, you know, Matt, uh, uh, I think you you answered you know uh, uh, the question that I had, and that is, is do you think that we're going to see the first rate hike in in March coming out of the Fed? Uh, uh, what's you know. What, what's what's your handicap on uh, uh, you know that being the first rate hike that we see in 22? I think uh, as far as the information we have right now, and if there aren't any major changes in the trajectory of how things have been going, it's at least an 80% chance, if not more, that it would be in March. Yeah, you know, and and, and you know, David, when we talk about 2022 and, you know, Matt threw out there, you know, some of the potential drivers that, uh, you know, could take the 10 down and, and, and he, uh, our costs attend the rally. And, you know, he, he mentioned that, uh, that war, war word, uh, right. So we've got the Ukraine. I mean, so 2022 is going to be a real bump year, right? Because what do we got? I mean, we got inflation, we got the Ukraine, we got Taiwan, and then looming yeah. on the horizon, uh, we've got elections in, in 2022. So wow. when you all into the mix, uh, you know, this could be a very volatile year, depending on how the geopolitical front uh, plays out across the globe, uh, how elections, um, uh, you know, uh, transpire mm-hmm. here stateside, and then mix in inflation and COVID, and you've just got a recipe for volatility, uh, depending on what uh, materializes or, or doesn't. Yeah, yeah, yes. definitely. And we hope that we hope that Russia and China are all talk on, in terms of starting those wars. But if they're not, then yeah, that's definitely um, you know a feather in the cap for low rates, even though uh, the, the motivation isn't something we would root for. We would certainly not be rooting for that. Yeah, that's good for one. Matt Graham, I love your what you do, Matt. I, I get so many compliments uh, since you joined the podcast and the the detail you have. And again, encourage people to sign up for this. You can get the extended trial and without a credit card, which is sometimes required. It used to be required, um, but it doesn't require for LOL listeners. So put the code in there. But Matt, you do a great job. Really do appreciate you. <clears throat> it's nice that you have someone on the podcast reminding Jack and I just how old we are. That's good. No, oh, come on. Oh, come on. <laughs> no, I love it. That's good. You do a great job. Appreciate it very, very much. Go back to work now. Quit messing with the markets. Get this thing turned around. Keep it going down this. <coughs> there yes, All right, man. We blame you for everything, good and bad. <laughs> oh, that's just the job you have. Appreciate you, man. Have a great rest of your day and the week. You too, Dave. I'm grateful to have you here. All right. Alice Alvey could not join us today. She's had, got something going on. The person I talked to her earlier, she said hello to all of our listeners. She is, brings us so much great content. But I do want to talk about something and uh, get Jacks on this. But uh, we were talking about two words, the W word, which is the war. Matt was talking about that. And then also the C word, which is COVID. And um, we're looking at for the uh, U.S. Supreme Court rule on whether or not they're going to uphold the Biden administration um, vaccine mandate and OSHA enforcing on it companies. And so I've been doing more and more calling informally, calling around, certainly not an official survey, but we're hearing more and more people saying, Dave, it's not going to affect us because almost all of our employees now work from home anyway. So again, that's a 
a carve out for this. But um, Jack, love to get your thoughts as I get another cough drop going here. Well, uh, you know, the Supreme Court heard arguments uh, on Friday. Um, you know, it's it's going to be a close call. Um, I think right now the uh, 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 you know it's leaning towards a five four or six three decision uh, to uphold the stay. Um, we'll see how that plays out today, tomorrow, Wednesday. Mm-hmm. I mean, what OSHA doesn't start uh, levying fines until what February the ninth, David, and right. it's up to fourteen thousand dollars per occurrence. So mm-hmm. there's uh, still time for the Supreme Court to deliberate. Um, and you know, based upon what I've been reading. Um, you know, it, it, it looks like a 5-4 or 6-3 or vote to uphold the stay uh, blocking hmm. the implementation of uh, the OSHA vaccine mandate being that it uh, is overreach of federal authority. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm kind of on the other side of that coin. I'm reading Reuters, which is one of the most recent ones, conservative U.S. Um, uh, court justices on Friday question, and there seems to be there's more of a leaning against the Biden administration. I think that's what Reuters are approved. A couple others came out with that. So it'll be real interesting. Um, I'm certainly hoping that it gets cast down, uh, overturned, and uh, so that they, they do not support it because we want us to. I don't know the, the unintended consequences of that kind of upholding that to put that on companies. There's so many people. It's such a volatile. Um, charged issue that I think you're going to find a lot of people saying, forget it. I'm not going to stay here. Find another company that'll let me work from home. Uh, that's certainly a trend that is very, very popular amongst the operational people. Harder to hire an underwriter these days. If you're saying, yeah, you got to come into the office. More and more of them saying, nope, if you want me to work for you, I got to work from home. So going to be interesting Mr. Well, you know, David, uh, and and uh, it, it was either Le- I think it was Le- Les or, or Matt were talking about, uh, you know, the latest job report. Uh, you know, it was supposed to come in uh, at about four hundred thousand. It came in at one ninety nine. Um, that was a surprise. Another surprise was unemployment fell from yeah. four point two to three point nine. So we're in an extremely tight labor market, and and to disrupt uh, countless thousands of employees uh, with the uh, OSHA vaccine mandate uh, could further exacerbate what is already a tight labor market, David. It could, and we shall see. It's going to be coming out sometime this week. We should be hearing something. So let's see what happens. Thanks, Jack. Appreciate your thoughts on that. Um, Let's get over to Alan Pollock. He's joining us with this week's tech update. Alan, how are you doing, friend? Hey, Mr. Lickin. What's happening? Doing well, getting over this cough. But uh, we're doing well, but I'm really excited to hear what you got going on in the tech update, bud. There's a lot going on. Mergers and acquisition in the tech space is really taking front and center. Uh, There's a a couple more um, M&A that will be announced. I'm a part of a mastermind group. And so I'm uh, hearing about their pending announcements. And so lots, lots to talk about. Oh, yeah. They, I don't have anything to report on M&A today, but there, there are a lot of deals that didn't complete in 21, or there was too many deals to complete in 21. Lots of great things still to happen in 22. Um, mm-hmm. It really is just on that topic, David. And I'm going to keep today's segment because we're running a little over. The market update was was fantastic. So I'm willing to give up a little time there. I appreciate that. Yeah. So, uh, but anyways, you know, it's hard to get into the market. If you're a brand new tech company, if you're starting your Mm -hmm. garage or, you know, you're based in Silicon Valley, it doesn't matter. This is an industry where you need to know people. You need to understand the technology, the lingo, the data sets. It's not easy to get into. So for the folks that have gotten in, or have been able to get some initial seed money or some sponsorship, or they were part of a small lab. I, if you remember, Flagstar had a, had a full-on um, tech lab going on. If you, if you happen to be able to get into one of those, you're getting acquired, right? These, these smaller entities, these smaller vendors, they got great ideas, but 
the acquisitions will continue to happen. It makes them more have more meat. It makes them more powerful as far mm-hmm. as what they can offer to you as a lender or as a as a bank. And so we'll continue to see more of that. And then you've got some of the big folks out there, right, that are taking a big grab at owning as much as they can, especially as the newer technology that we haven't even been able to put our hands on yet is still coming our way. Blockchain, Mm -hmm. the consolidation of the process. But it's really interesting. It's funny you bring this up, David, because a couple of the points in my my segment today kind of read into this. But I, I do want to just very, very, very quickly announce that the CES, Consumer Electronics Show, just ended this past weekend in Las Vegas. It was less people than normal. And, you know, every year after CES, I kind of bring up a couple of the cool things. Yep. There was nothing cool. There was nothing wow. fantastic. It was a, a lot of electric cars and concepts. The only thing that, if you Google it, the, the most widely cool thing that anyone says is out there is a monitor called the Odyssey Arc. And instead of a monitor being curved, right, horizontally from left to right, it's right. heavily curved vertically from top to bottom. Really? really strange looking. Anyways, I don't know, but it's out there. Uh, so, but honestly, I, there was, I didn't see anything. There's not a lot on TV. There's not a lot on the internet. There just was not a splash That's year really for CES. Not... Interesting. Yeah. So you remember that being a big, there's so many announcements. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've got a joke. A Riff. Time, this, is, this is one of your oh, bad ahead. jokes. I love jokes. This my, you know, you know what, what that curved monitor is that does it vertically, uh, vertically, you know, who makes it? What is it? Crink, because uh, it gives you a crink in your neck. Arg, arg. That was, okay. that was, that was bad. All right. You, you know, I've got, I've got one of these monitors. And by the way, if you have one, we'd love to hear your feedback because it took yeah. me a couple of months to get used to it. And, and they say that it's great because you don't have to turn your head to get the crink, but you do. You can't just move your eyes left or right. It's, no. Yes, you do. So, I've got two love, of them. Love to hear I big, big monitors on the side, but they're mine. Are the the old style, which is still new. Uh, I'm, they're two of them yeah. side by side. It's, it is nice. It's really nice to get that view. But going vertical, I'm going like, no, I'm, I'm getting too old to be lifting up my head that high. All right, we're stick to this yeah. horizontal. You, you know what's tricky about going horizontal is you wind up putting too much stuff on the screen. You can't get anything mm-hmm. done. It's like paralysis. You're better off just taking your iPad to a coffee shop and drinking a coffee and getting your work done. That's so funny. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, David, since I've got, I've got a mini platform for a second, you know, I'm trying to buy a home. So if we could stop these home prices from rising, so Matt, if you have yeah. any control over the market, yeah. that'd be fantastic. Yeah, Matt had, he does, yeah, he already had to, go, had to go back. Yeah, I mean, dear God, that's crazy. Yeah, but speaking <laughs> of home prices, right, and, and we're in mm-hmm. this very unique place, David, right? We've got the big job retirement era. I forgot what it's been mm-hmm. labeled, but a lot of people are leaving their jobs to open up, you know, mobile dog grooming you know, um, locations and things like that. They're, they're looking for the change, right? And so mm-hmm. get this, you know, we've heard about Zillow and the iBuyer program, right? And they had yep. they canceled the entire platform where they turned mm-hmm. it off. Well, you know, two out of every 10 homes that are flipped by the iBuyer model wound up with investors and large institutions that's squeezing out new buyers. Mm-hmm. And get this, it wasn't due to it was due to bad technology, the reason why Zillow got out of the game, but the bad technology made horrible valuations. Yeah. And so they incorrectly valued, valued the market, the, the properties, the locations, and everything about them. And a good majority, it's about 100,000 properties they had, a good majority of those properties due to that technology and the bad valuation models had never even hit the market. And now they're being sold to large private institutional uh, folks. So some really interesting things going on there. You want to check it out. It's probably going to continue to make some news here and there as they look to, to sell the rest of that portfolio off um, and go from there. By the way, fraud, David, fraud is huge right now. NEXT, um, they're reporting that fraud now costs mortgage lenders more than any other segment, which is crazy. And in mm-hmm. 2021, the, the 2021 edition of LexisNexis, they, they looked at the true cost of fraud in mortgage and it rose from 6.7% to almost 10%. Get this, every dollar costs a mortgage lender $4 at a minimum. Mm. That's huge. That's staggering. So you wanna, you, you, you've got to think about your data policies, your security policies, and you know, getting back to what we were talking about prior um, last week, which has to do with fraud and what happens at a data breach and all those different things. 
I'll save the bigger piece because it's, it's more descriptive for next week, but I will tell you this, in the first 24 hours of a data incident, you have to isolate the location of that data breach, you have to stop additional loss, and you have to interview all the people that were involved. I didn't share that one last time, so the first two were a recap. Whoever was involved in that data breach, once you've identified it, you must interview them and you must save all your data, your information, and your records. Next week, we'll get through the whole segment of data breaching. Uh, hopefully, the market Good. won't be moving too much. Uh, other than that, it's a great week. Thanks, everyone, for listening and uh, looking forward to the hot topic. Appreciate it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. Alan Pollock can be reached at Alan at sign TMS dash advisors.com. Alan is available. He loves hearing from you and be sure to get a hold of him and uh, share your ideas and what you're seeing out there. Alan, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Have a great rest of your week, friend. All right. So that wraps up this first part of the podcast, which is an update on all that goes on on the mortgage market. Again, we try to bring you current information, spend a little more time on the markets because I think it's really critical as you look at where is this thing going, what's happening, and I thought that was worth the investment. Missed Alice Wisher well, and uh, look forward to have her back next week. Um, that's, that wraps up the, hot, the, the, the topics, of the weekly mortgage update. Now we're going to get into the hot topic segment. If you're listening on a downloaded basis, just move on to the next podcast. If you are listening on a download or on a live basis, stay right here. We're going to get right into it now. Welcome to the Licking on Lending topic hot topic segment today we've got joining us today julian lumpkin julian is the founder and ceo of success kit proud to have him as a sponsor and uh, he's going to give us some insights on how you can increase and close moral business uh whether you're out there talking to consumers or other vendors or whether you're b2b or b2c he's got some great information on how to close more deals and shorten your sales cycle Julian Lumpkin, good to have you, friend. Appreciate you so much. Hi, David. Great to be here. Appreciate you. And appreciate your sponsorship and partnership. Looking so more forward to talking about this. This is a great topic. So listeners, think about this. You're competing in the marketplace. Your competitor has all these valued testimonials. And you're out there with your marketing material. Your marketing material may be trumping and even better than your competition. But in a game of who is a consumer going to go with, what is going to drive it? Testimonials trumpet. And we're going to get in and discuss that just very specifically. But before we get into that, Julian, let our listeners get to know you just briefly. Absolutely. Uh, so my name is Julian Lumpkin. I am the founder of Success Kit. We have been creating case studies, which is a written version of a testimonial and video testimonials for our clients for several years. And I'm really excited to talk with you about how we've helped our clients attract more leads, close more business by leveraging their most important asset. And that asset is their own happy customers. Own happy customers. That's such a good point. I might have added this. I'll get this. I started working with Julian. He reached out to me, oh gosh, six months, nine months ago, or maybe a year ago. And I was so impressed with how he oh. runs his business. Just beyond what he does, before we signed up, I thought, this is just another vendor trying to bang on my door to get, my, get me get some money out of my wallet. And I saw the way he followed up. Folks, you're going to want to get to know Julian just because how he runs his business, his business acumen is really, really good. So kudos to you on that. Let's get into the topic. Why are testimonials today, or I guess, are they, are they more important today than they have been previously, or why do they matter so much? I think they're more important now than ever. And testimonials have always been important for pretty obvious reasons. Um, you know, just put yourself in the buyer's shoes for a second. You're not an expert on mortgages. You're not looking at the inflation rate or the Fed's interest rates or any of the things we talked, you guys talked about earlier in this program. You're thinking about yourself as a buyer. And when you're thinking about yourself, it's very difficult for a vendor, whether it's a mortgage provider or someone else, to change your mind or make you see things. Mm -hmm. But what does connect with someone who's thinking about their own problems and their own mortgage is hearing from someone just like them. And that's what makes video testimonials so powerful. Today, I think they're even more powerful because consumers, whether they're you know, individuals or businesses, are accustomed 
to getting real information themselves. They don't want to hear you as the vendor explain why you're the best or yeah. why what yep. you do works. They want to figure it out for themselves or hear it from other people. And that's what people expect now in video testimonials are your opportunity as a mortgage provider to control that and make sure they're seeing real information from people you've already worked with that's going to connect with them. Yeah. I think one thing, excuse me, I'm coughing away here trying to avoid that. But um, one of the things you talked about was uh, case studies. Talk a little bit about and how a case study is similar to a testimonial, but there is some variance. Yeah. So we look at case studies as the written version. So a case study would be maybe one page, two page. They can be three or four pages telling the story of how someone worked with you in writing. The video testimonial is, of course, a video version of that person talking about it. Mm-hmm. They usually run one to two minutes, but they can be three or four minutes. As far as the content itself, the difference is, is about detail. And what I mean by that is written case studies, they, give a, they will often tell a personal story, but they also have room via the text to talk about some of the details of why it was a successful relationship, what happened. Video testimonials may touch on that, but they're more about social proof. They're more about your customer being able to look at someone and see that they're a real person just like that. Alan, I want you to get on the conversation. Then I'm going to get over to you, Jack. But Alan, you know the importance of of a testimonial, especially when it comes to the technology side of it. I don't think I think it's across important across all of all the business uh, models and the, all the verticals. But get your in here with some of your questions that you might have or statements about the importance of testimonials and case studies. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, how what makes a testimonial good? It would be my first question, but. Just, just real quick, because David, what you said really rings rings to home is that in technology, you need to be able to prove to folks that you can do what you say, what you're selling, and you can deliver, and you're not selling vaporware. And having testimonials is a great way to do that. A lot of people sometimes think testimonials are fully baked, and so you've got to have it, more than one is what I'm getting at. But anyways, I'm not the expert on this, so I'll turn it back over to you guys. But I'd love to understand what makes a good testimonial. Julian? Yeah, David, I, I guess that one's for me. I'll take that one. Yes, it so, is. It is. Um, yeah. yeah, I'll try to give a quick, simple answer to that. What makes a good testimonial is an authentic is authentic statements from your client about things that your prospects care about. That means you don't need to over-engineer your video testimonials. You don't need to coach your client on the perfect or the best thing to say because the best video testimonials are authentic. You may guide them to make sure they're talking about things that you know are important to your prospects, but the very best testimonials come about when you just let the client share their story. Because I'll give you an example of why I always start with this as the most important aspect. I have clients that will have us do a testimonial for us Uh, for them rather. And when they're looking at the way that their client speaks about things, they may pause and say, wait, I can describe things even more precisely than than my client did. I've got my own terminology to describe Mm -hmm. things. But what they find when they use our testimonials is that doesn't matter. What matters is your client speaking authentically in their own words. Because again, let's think about your prospects. They're not thinking like you. They don't care about the interest rates, the Fed's rates, the terminology, the technical details. They care about simple things. And so the best testimonials, let your clients talk about what matters to them because that's what matters to the people who are thinking about working with you. That's such a good point. Jack, you know, the other thing I was going to say, Julian, one of the things I want to put in here talk about sometimes is how long it takes. I've worked on testimonials. I've had the best intention of doing them. There's just something about handing that over to someone to do. And uh, I just, I mean, I, I can't stress that enough. It's you got to get into the hands of a professional like you that does it. And you do such a good job of following up and working with, at least you have with me as a client. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate that. And, and I think, well, first of all, let's tell your audience this. We're happy to help and, 
you know, getting professionally done testimonials is, is great. But one of the cool things about testimonials is that anyone can do them. It's just going to take a little work. And David, you bring up the part of the project mm -hmm. that folks usually forget about when they say, okay, let's go create testimonials. And that is the project management. Yeah. When people try to make testimonials on themselves, they may find a video editor who can kind of help them do that. They may even have someone internally who can kind of set it up. But where, they, where we see our clients failing is in the project management. Yes. All the little details of setting it up for the client, telling them what they need, what they need to prepare, getting the B-roll, getting permissions in advance, all of these little things are why we see our clients say, I think what you told me, David, when we spoke, which is, I know these are important. We kind of can do them, but they're just not getting done. Yeah. And it's about finding a good process yourself or finding someone like us uh, who can manage that for you. Yeah, I'm so glad you found us and we have found a great relationship with you. You know, Jack, it sounds like he was talking about the devil is in the details about that and how to create testimonies. So, Jack, over to you. Uh, yeah, Julian, um, the listeners on this podcast are distributed nationally. Uh, can you uh, help uh, the listeners build these testimonials on a remote basis? Yeah, absolutely. So let's, let's talk about that. First of all, to directly answer your question, yes. And if you've seen our example video testimonials, including the one uh, we did for David, they were actually recorded remotely. We use a technology that allows us to see what the person is recording while they're recording it. So they can do so on their iPhone. iPhones have amazing cameras these days. So what we do to shoot them remotely is use a program where they're logging in on their iPhone. We're coaching them while watching the video to make sure it comes out correctly. That said, so that's our, you know, we have a whole process for doing them remotely. But what I always tell my clients before they sign up with us is before you record a video remotely, consider if you may have the opportunity to with them in person. Shooting video in person is always or should always be a little bit better than remotely, but they can certainly get done remotely. I also want to bring up, because what we're talking about here is the level of production quality that they're ultimately going to see. And one of the things that's really interesting, and this is a trend that's been going on for a couple of years, mostly brought on by the pandemic, is that viewers are much more accepting of informal video shoots. They don't care as much about the polish anymore. They don't care if you had a super fancy camera and came to their office. They're used to seeing people's faces on Zoom just talking. So a lot of my clients are actually aiming for more informal shoots. So you really get the feeling of it's just a person talking. So you can do them in person or remotely, and it really depends on how much you want to prioritize production quality. Yeah, that's a great point. I think the production quality and the time it takes is just inordinate. inordinate. Now, how do you use testimonials in marketing? Are there, is there do's and don'ts that you recommend there? Yeah. So when it comes to using testimonials, you know, testimonials are great lead magnets. And I think the most important thing that you can do once you have a video testimonial is to properly target them within your campaigns. When people ask me what makes a good testimonial or case study, one of the other answers I could give is not how well it's written or how well it's recorded, but how relevant is it to the viewer? Mm. So yeah, the most right. important thing that you can do in your marketing is make sure you're not just creating one video testimonial and then putting it into all of your marketing channels, but instead you're targeting it to the audience who's going to be viewing it. Again, people like te testimonials work because the viewer can put themselves in the shoes of the, yeah, your clients. Yep. So the closer you can make that match, whether it's geographically, whether it's about the concern the person had, the person had, anything that you can do to make it relevant to the people you're marketing to is going to make that more effective. 
Yeah, it's a really good point. Really good point. Uh, yeah. And I, I, you, I can't stress that enough. Now, is there some content that can be more timeless? In other words, it has a longer shelf life to be used out there. Or are there any things that you say, like, if there's certain trends going on today so that it doesn't have to be redone within six, six months? I'm thinking about our uh, earlier, we were talking about the financial markets and, you know, what's going on today won't be rele- relevant, you know, possibly later this week or even next week. So what are some tips on the, the relevancy from a uh, market, I guess, market swings or, you know, uh, and it changes. Yeah, it's a great question. And there's not really one canned answer for all companies here because it really is situational. And, you know, going back to your example of, you know, the rates may have changed, that may or may not affect a testimonial. So if your goal is to create a testimonial that's really evergreen, and I have clients that specifically tell us we want this to be evergreen, As you ask your questions and guide the subject in talking, you're going to want to not ask them about the super specific things that are relevant right now and are likely to change. The drawback is, of course, you're going to get a little bit less specifics. So there's really kind of a a balance you have to draw here, and it's going to be dependent on your individual situation and the subject matter at hand. Yeah. One of our listeners just wrote – said, I think I know what he means by evergreen, but just in case I'm missing something, have him expound on what do you mean by evergreen? Yeah, I, uh, I hope I use that term correctly. It's not uh, something I say often. I don't know where it came from. So what I meant when I said evergreen is content that you create once and you can use for years to come. It doesn't need to be significantly okay. updated or changed. Like, for example, if you do a blog article about the interest rates today, that's not evergreen content. But a good testimonial that doesn't cover any specifics like that is going to be valuable for years to come. Yeah, I think that's that's a great point. Uh, Let's get over. uh, uh, Let's see here. Well, I'm looking at Alan. Alan, are you back and available? Or you had to? Oh, you had to go, uh, or you're on a hold. You let me know when you can jump in, Alan, anytime you want, whenever that can work out. Uh, so let's talk about using testimonials in your marketing material. Are there? It, it seems like you just dump it in there. Do you put it in as segment or, or snippets to draw people in? Give us some marketing tips and true tri- tips and tricks that you've found that work better when using testimonials. Yeah, I think the answer is yes to everything. Whether it's on your website, in a, in a sales email, in a marketing campaign, there is no place, there is no part of marketing that doesn't have room for customer proof. Yeah, but is and, there some like, a longer testimony, is, is there some uh, guidelines you can say if, it, if it's a written or if it's a, a video testimony that goes for three minutes, uh, pull out something that's, you know, that, that's, it's a great soundbite that draws them into it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly what our clients do, and I'll, I'll give you an example of what I mean by that. So different video types are going to be effective on different channels. So the standard two-minute video testimonial that we've been talking about is perfect, for example, for your website. Your website, you want mm-hmm. to have your most formal content. You have right. a little more room you know, you don't need only 10-second clips. So that's where you want your full formal video testimonials. Now, what my clients also do, and we can do this for them as a service, is once you create a video testimonial, two to three minutes, you can repurpose that and use it across all different channels. So I'll give you an example. Most of, many of my clients are really focused on LinkedIn. And while this can change for a while, one of the best ways to get on attention on LinkedIn was 20 second video clips. Mm-hmm. So what you do is you take your video testimonial, you of course save all of the files for creating it. And then when you have a LinkedIn campaign, you pull out the most important piece from that testimonial and put it into a short segment like 20 seconds. So like you said, David, there's different lengths for different time yeah, periods, different uh, excuse yeah. me, for different situations. Yep. Social media, super short, 15 to 20 second clips. Yep. On your website, two to three minutes. 
And if you have a webinar or a full presentation, that might be an opportunity to do a real long-form interview with a client uh, in the 10 to 15-minute range. Yeah, good point. Great point. I mean, I, I always look at what to use, when to use it, all that. Um, let's talk about when you're using testimonials in sales versus marketing. How, how does that differ? Yeah, this is, uh, this is one of my favorite questions because my background before I started SuccessKit was actually in sales. And okay. I was a sales manager at a technology company. And what I saw is that the very best sales reps, whether it's testimonials, case studies, or just talking about customers, they used examples of customer success throughout the sales process. But the key to doing this well, because everyone has been in a situation where a vendor sort of misuses a testimonial or a reference or a case study, and they're basically trying to make the case study do their job for them or the testimonial do their job for them. So the key to using case studies and testimonials and sales, just like in marketing, is to target effectively. But mm. when you're in the sales process, you can target even more effectively than just, oh, this person lives in Michigan, so let me show them a video testimonial from Michigan. When you're in a sales process, you're learning, if you're good at being in sales, that is, what you're yep. doing is you're learning what your prospect cares about, not yeah. what you think they should care about, not what you're telling them, not what your product does, not what your mortgage offers them, but what they care about. And what the best sales reps do is they learn what their prospect really cares about, what really makes them tick, what really makes this decision matter for them, and then they show them video testimonials of people who care or achieve results on that same thing. So summarizing my answer, just like marketing, it's about targeting, but a good sales rep can take that targeting to the next level and use customer proof throughout their entire sales process. Yeah, which really goes almost to an emotional appeal in the what you're doing, whether the logic that goes into the the case study, that's more logical. But the video testimony, yeah. there's got to be an emotional component. I mean, I think it'll store things nicely there. So anyway, I, I've always loved um, – it, it's exciting. Now, there's so much I could go on about this, and uh, we've run out of time. Uh, I just encourage people to reach out to you. What's the most effective way for people to call, connect? Yeah, people can, can – I am pretty easy to find. So you can find us – Write on our website and talk with me directly. That is successkit, the word success, K-I-T dot I-O. You can also just Google Julian Lumpkin and my LinkedIn profile will come up. I take inbound messages. Feel free to ask me any questions. Or you can shoot me an email at Julian, J-U-L-I-A-N, at successkit.io. If you have questions, we're happy to answer them. And if you need help with your, your testimonials or case studies, we're, of course, happy to do that as well. Very good. Well, I, folks, I cannot tell you, and this is my testimony of Julia. I can't tell you how pleased I am on the level of follow-up. Even after I hired him, I was still so overwhelmed with busyness and things that are just distracting that I was not responding to him. And he did the most respectful job of pinging me on a regular basis. Dave, where are you at? Just reminding you we're here whenever you're ready to get going. It was the most uh, professional, thorough follow-up on um, working with us. And I, I got to tell you, you won me over on just how well you run your business. I don't matter what your business is. You just run it well, Julian. So kudos to you, uh, true professional. And it's fun to have the, see the benefits of what you do. It's got to be rewarding. Thanks for the kind words, David. Thanks for having me here. Uh, really appreciate working with you as well. Yep. I'm looking forward to it, friend. Uh, very much. Uh, next week, appreciate it. By the way, our special guest, let me go back and say this. Uh, our special guest today has been Julian Lumpkin, uh, the founder and CEO of Success Kit. Please reach out to him, connect with him. You'll be glad you have a discovery call. Just see if there is. You say, well, I'm a loan officer. I'm a single individual. Or I'm a sole proprietor. I, I mean, I, I can't afford it. His prices are so affordable. And so check it out. I'm sure those prices will be going up. So and time that he didn't have that's not an announcement that they're going up, but at some point in time, I'm sure they will. It's just going to be um, so effective for you, whether you're a single individual. I mean, by that, I mean a loan officer uh, working inside of a company. You can invest the money. It's very affordable. Appreciate you, Julian, for being here. 
Next week, we've got Whitney Nelson of Brilliant People joining us. We're going to be talking more about <coughs> personality profiles. How do we get people to work? How do we work effectively within a company? How do we interact with people more effectively? I uh, recently met Whitney Nelson. We share a, a, a passion for culture within companies. I'm really excited to share that interview with you next week. Say a special thank you to our sponsors, Finastra, Lenders One, Accelerate, Mobility, MMI, Modex, the MBA, Knowledge Coop, the Mortgage Collaborative, SnapDocs, Success Kit, and Lenders Toolkit. So grateful to have all of these as sponsors. If you're interested in sponsorship, we've got several more coming on. Very excited about the sponsorship that sponsors that are coming on and working with them. Uh, got some things we're going to be talking about in future upcoming podcasts, how we're going to approach this. Um, our recording of the podcast, some exciting things we're working on. So we appreciate you being here. Look forward to having you back here next week. Have a great week, everyone. Thank you. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.